Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This is Brendan Sinone, joined right now by Chris Nee. And, uh, and here's the difference between Chris and myself. I'm being anxious and contemplating, okay, what kind of witty intro should we have? And Chris goes, F witty, just do it. So here we are, the Knowles 24-7 podcast. No witty intro, just straight facts. And we're going to actually have a pretty loaded episode today. Uh, Chris and I are going to start off recapping kind of what we learned from spring football throughout the first week or so, and then we're going to loop Josh Newbergen to talk to us about uh, FSU's second junior day of the recruiting cycle, as well as the addition of, of Wisconsin graduate transfer quarterbacks Alex uh, Hornerbrook. So, uh, so yeah, we're going to have a, a good deal here. Real quick, guys, before I uh, throw things over to Chris to kind of recap spring so far, remember, please, five-star review on iTunes. That helps out a ton. Uh, for for the growth of our podcast, we're getting to the point where we're getting getting some backing from National to give us you know, equipment and maybe sponsorship soon. So the show's grown a ton. This is actually episode one hundred and one, uh, and and yeah. So so thank you for subscribing so far. But please make sure to keep doing so. It truly does help. So anyways, Chris, uh, spring practice week in a couple days in. I think today was day six on Wednesdays we record this, and we got a chance to see no drills today. Yeah, six days in, two days left before they break for spring break and have about 10 days off. Um, I think the main thing we've learned is that there's not really a ton of storylines. It's more about kind of watching how the Browse and Clements factor impacts the offense with a slight degree of looking at what Ron Dugans is doing with the wide receivers. A lot of focus on the offensive line, especially today with Noldros, with them getting physical. It was really our first real good viewing of them in full pads getting after it. And then on the defensive side of all, it's fairly calm. I mean, you're keeping up with Odell Higgins taking over the whole defensive line. We're seeing some 4-3-3-4 elements up front with the defensive line. But, you know, truthfully, I think they're just kind of poking and prodding there. I don't think it's a massive shift from what they've done in the past. It's more figuring out with the personnel what they should do with some of the guys who have kind of varied skill sets, you know, guys that are hybrids. Dennis Briggs, for example, called himself a 3-4-4-3 defensive end hybrid. I would agree with that. He's kind of got a strong side body that can get away with playing in either scheme. And then, uh, you know, a lot of special teams work today, which, of course, set my world on fire, but nobody was happier than Bob. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Bob took his eyes off one of those punts the entire 10 minutes they were doing it. He loved them some special teams, man. Well, God, he does. Uh, they, the, they had to literally put him in handcuffs to take him off the field today. That's how into special teams we, we, went, we went out for breakfast last week, and you and I are getting these elaborate breakfast burritos, and Bob just gets uh, a plain bagel with plain cream cheese. That's a man that loves special teams. <laughs> so I want to talk about what we saw in Noel Drills, and, and that's the offensive line. I think that's one of the – you mentioned not having a ton of storylines, Chris, and, and I think the offensive line is one of the legitimate storylines that people want to pay attention to. Uh, throughout the spring, and I understand there's a healthy dose of skepticism from the fan base. There should be and ba- us, and us, yes, everyone. Um, but but we do have to write about like things players are saying, um, and let's, then and then report what we're seeing too. They can't be any worse. No, they're literally the worst in power. F- I mean, they could maybe like get worse somehow, but they can't be ranked any worse. I don't know if I could survive them getting worse. Like, I don't know if I could get through twelve football games and watch. Uh, there was a point. There was a point last season, dude, when you were like, "Oh, they may. They lose Everly. They lose Derek Kelly. Who knows what Landon Dickerson does?" If Kel- like there was, I mean, it's possible, but but that doesn't seem to be the case. I, I don't want to gas them up too much. So please, like, understand the context that I'm putting in here. It's a couple of days into spring football. Um, but we're seeing like little glimpses of guys improving. Like Babyon Johnson actually looks like he's getting better, and he's someone who struggled a lot. Like people would would dog him when we put up videos of Noel Drills last year, and right now he's he's figuring to be FSU's starting center, and and uh, had a couple nice reps today. And we've actually heard from various players and coaches, and this isn't being emphatic when we asked them. Like James Blackman today said, this offensive line is opening up holes. Willie Taggart said the other day that the offensive line is actually showing. Uh, improvement and look damn good quote-unquote uh in various aspects of the spring so again it'd be hard like you said chris for them to get much worse but but there's incremental growth at least even slightly and and that's obviously the direction you have to go yeah discuss a few of the guys individually big bad baby on talked to us today for a while he's certainly much more confident and his comments came off as though he likes working with randy clements a lot more than he enjoyed working with greg fry he seemed sort of disenfranchised with the manner in which Greg Fry went about coaching him and in the short discussion of that subject today. Yeah, it was interesting. Bavion talked a lot about Dante Lucas, a popular name. I think everybody understands that Dante's a legit dude. He can play some ball. The biggest thing with Dante is conditioning. 
he's going to have to improve in that regard, but he's a strong physical being who gets it done at the guard spot. Another guy that Bavion complimented today, who I'm still somewhat very skeptical of, skeptical on is Mike Arnold. Big Greasy. Big Greasy. Like G-R-E-A-Z-Y. That was a debate. But here's what I know about Mike riders. Arnold. A year ago, the staff was very much in on him. They were very much, that's one of the guys we need to be good for us. And it certainly seems like that has carried over to this year. Now, that's not saying he is good. That's saying that I think they think he has some of the highest ceiling potential of anybody in that offensive line group. The thing with him is rep to rep, he's very inconsistent for his career. We need to see if that kind of turns the tide and if we get a more consistent offensive guard out of him. Because physically, he's put together. He's a big old dude. He's yeah. a mountain mover. He can do some things up front. And then it's so can, can he really move mountains, Chris? It's a cliche, and I Good. love my cliches. Except for when I use them. Yes, I just like mocking when you use cliches. <laughs> and then offensive tackle, you're kind of looking at those redshirt freshmen starting to show you some flashes. flashes. Yeah, for sure. Chaz Neal is a guy that I think he's starting to buy into being an offensive lineman a little bit more. He certainly has the look of a guy that should be great. He is nowhere near great yet, but he is good. He has good moments, and he can get pushed. And Jalen Goss, I think, is kind of the prototype. I think he's a guy that they would like to see develop into a big-time offensive tackle, something that this program so desperately has needed in recent years. But in general, I like watching O-line. I've always enjoyed watching O-line. I watched it a lot last year, plenty of years prior to that, certainly watching it a bunch this year when we get opportunities. Randy Clements is enjoyable to watch. One, he's a teacher. Two, he doesn't waste time. He doesn't like stop and demonstrate a ton. He will here and there. In general, he's going to tell you how to do it. Some are going to do it right. He's going to point out those who do it right. He's especially going to point out those who do it right to those who do it wrong. Of, hey, this is how you're supposed to do it. Watch how he's doing it. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, here's the intended purpose of what we're trying to accomplish here. I, I enjoy watching Randy. I think Randy is a very straightforward calming voice who does an excellent job of making subtle improvements with his guys with every single rep they take there's no just hey let's do a little practice we're just practicing it's always a little bit of teach a little bit of teach now what have you learned with what we've done in the drill and and that you mentioned the word calming chris and i think that's the thing that i'm taking away the most from what we've seen the offensive line in the you know we had two full practices to watch them i think this was the third practice now we've seen them first in pads so small sample size uh, but more so the the guys going in and out of practice um, when we talk to them uh, we've talked to Landon Dickerson and we've talked to Baby on Johnson now and, and then just the way they interact with each other during the open portions of practice it's a lot more of a relaxed group uh, seemingly more confident and again I understand it's early on in the spring I, I have to keep stressing that because I think people lose sight of that sometimes but it's a group to where they're having fun with each other. I saw Landon Dickerson and, and uh, Brady Scott joking around and doing impressions and impersonations today of, of other guys uh, when they were at the back of the drill. Um, it's looser. It seems like there's more confidence. Everything they've done has been to build up confidence. You see Randy Clements after each rep in a no drill, he is hustling over to tell someone what they did right, what they did wrong, but to give them like a pat on the helmet. Maybe this is minutia. Maybe this is just you know, looking into it too much, but it seems to me that there's a very cognizant effort on, on the part of FSU staff and especially uh, Randy Clemens to build up this offensive line because, man, they've, they've been dumped on by the fan base, by media, including us. Like, everyone's been very, very skeptical and, and rightfully so of the group. Uh, and eventually, if they're going to turn around, you have to build up the confidence. Yeah, and, and we're seeing a little bit of that, I think. We've seen some of that with Randy, with Jawan Williams. They've For sure. They've to gas him up, get him energized, kind of push him. Babyon's got kind of a natural, uh, he gets it, he's got energy, he's emotionally invested. Jawan Williams is the opposite of that. There's times where Jawan Williams looks almost distant or disconnected. And I don't think he necessarily is, but he comes off that way. It's not very outward with He's him. just a different cat and not what you normally expect of a... From a football player, he's, he's different. Yeah, it does, yeah the I'm competitive juices don't show with him. Like, mm-hmm. they don't come out. Now, he'll do it here and there in a drill, especially a no drill when they're being physical, but it's not consistent with him. So he's certainly a guy that we've kind of seen them try to get after, get under some more, get him going. And then there's other guys like Bavion who very much do that naturally. And Bavion's been outstanding at that in camp. He's very good at praising his teammates, at sharing uh, moments of like scrutiny or need to get better, and he certainly does that to himself individually. Well, one thing with Babyon I noticed, and, and 
it's something I noticed in the first day of practice and then kind of forgot about it. And now I've been reminded when we talked to him today and we heard James Blackman talking about Bavion and you wrote about it, Chris, um, but it's James Blackman was talking about Bavion being, um, being the leader and kind of chirping at one point, James went to correct the offensive line, uh, I guess on Monday and, and Bavion turned around, like and chirped at him and said, no, man, this is my offensive line. Like, I got it. Like I'll correct it. And James didn't take issue to it. Like I thought he was encouraged by it, but you know, back in the first practice of spring, uh, uh, Christian Christian Meadows was at center. He was the number two center, and he was struggling with snaps, like dreadfully st- struggling. Uh, and so he had to go over by himself and start snapping. Uh, and while Andrew Pacelli went in with the second team, you know who went over to him to, to practice? Bavion Johnson went over went over to to Christian to help him out. Like to me, that's leadership. That's you not only going and doing the action of leading, but just to be observant and notice. Okay, someone could use my help right now. Take my time away from watching something else and help them. Like that. That's leadership. Yeah, and Bavion came off as very self-aware today. He, he talked about the O-line being so heavily scrutinized, and that it, to some degree they certainly deserved it. And he doesn't want that to continue. He doesn't want himself to be scrutinized because of poor play. He wants to put forth a good effort and a good group. Talked about when he does have a bad snap, which he feels like overall in the spring he's had very few, especially compared to last season when he did struggle a great deal with snapping, which he admitted. Um that he kind of punishes himself individually. So there, there's, it's good when your center is kind of a self-checking individual who understands the dynamics of everything going on with his group. And I think to some degree with the last group, I don't know if it became numb to it or dumb to it, but that went away at the center position. And it's kind of refreshing to hear that coming from baby on. So the offensive line, again, guys, I think we're seeing little, little signs of progress uh, and that's encouraging Obviously, there's a lot of time to yeah, go they, between they now st- and and just you know when when they play Boise State in, in Every, September. The first day of practice, I said that you had to check expectations at the door once you saw the O line because mm-hmm. that group that they ran out there was not an impressive bunch based on what they've done in their past. I think it is completely fair at this point, halfway through the spring, to still expect a heck of a lot more from the O line and to not believe they are drastically better simply because of their past history. A guy doesn't magically become a drastically better player than he was just a few months ago just because one season ended and the spring began. What I'm more getting at, I think what we're trying to express, is that with what Randy Clements and Kendall Browse and the offense wants to accomplish with that group, they're showing some signs of life with what they're trying to accomplish. And there's certainly more confidence among a group that was so poor last year, so bad, so beaten and battered by the end of the year, both mentally and physically, that they are showing some signs of at least understanding we have to get better and we're working to be better. All right, so that's one storyline. Another storyline from from what I've observed, and I think that we're going to keep focusing on throughout the entire offseason, and that's the development of, of James Blackman and him as a leader. Um, and, and talking to him and talking to guys around him, it's very clear that that they are that the, this team is leaning into James as as being their quarterback one, as being the starting quarterback. I think guys have a clear understanding of of him being the guy, uh, being the leader. He's always had that that charisma about him, Chris. But but the difference I think right now is is he's starting. He talked a little bit about this today. He's starting to understand like what it means to not just be the leader, but be the starting quarterback. Um, and every opportunity that he's had to be the starting quarterback at Florida State has come with with like an asterisk. It's been like, well, someone's been injured. You know what I mean? So, so this is him now, his team, him putting his fingerprints on a little bit, not trying to keep things from falling apart, but rather trying to build it up and, and elevate it. Um, and he talked a lot about confidence today and not just with himself, but with his teammates and, and getting more comfortable. And those two words to me kept popping up in the interview. Some were prompted by questions, but some were things that he brought up himself. Confidence, comfortable. Confidence, comfortable. Well, you fired off the, aren't you guys coming out to practice to watch? Watch those holes that the O-line opens up for Cam Akers. Yes, yeah. So he's praising multiple groups there. He's praising his O-line, what his backs are doing. He certainly has kind of taken the flag of that offense and gotten comfortable with carrying it. And it's showing. And James has never lacked confidence. He's never had an issue with being the guy. I think the only difference now is that it's clear-cut and a certainty that he is the guy, and he's fully comfortable with taking that and running with it. And that's a good thing for FSU. It's good for confidence breeds confidence. And with FSU's offense, that starts with the O-line not being horrible and guys having some confidence in that group. And I think we saw that in discussing it with Baby on today. And, of course, Landon Dickerson is a guy that certainly is that way too. His issue is more staying healthy. And with James Blackman, he can kind of do it over the entire group. He's the guy that holds the umbrella that covers the entire offensive group, and he certainly has it. 
And he's, he's ready to kind of shovel it and throw it each way and let each group know, I got your back if you got mine. All right, so those are the two main things that I think we can take away from, or at least have found interesting in the past few days since we had the last uh, podcast. Uh, there will be other things I think we're going to talk about after, maybe after the break of spring. We'll have one more practice uh, open. That's on Friday. And then they'll have spring break, correct? Is that does that sound right, Chris? Yeah, they take off spring break. They come back the following Wednesday yeah. after it. So we'll, we'll probably do like a lessons learned and a more in-depth takeaway session from the spring and the next podcast. Um, but for now, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to loop in Josh Newberg. We're going to try to get this audio down pat with the Skype because he's calling in remotely. So hopefully it doesn't change, sound a whole lot different than how it does now. Um, but, but bear with us and Hey, like in a couple of weeks when we get sponsors, it would be a perfect time maybe to, to have a break. But for now, just bear with us. We'll be back in a second. All right. Welcome back to the Knowles 24 seven podcast. And we are joined by the one and only Josh Newberg. Hello, Josh. Hello. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> Absolutely. Anytime. All right. So you, you do work here. You know that, right? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, you you aren't a guest per se. You're you're like the kooky uncle who's out of work and is living in the the extra bedroom that everyone kind of wants out, but it's still there and brings some value to the family, but we're just not sure what. I'm just glad you survived your venture into the Alaskan wilderness. Are you talking about Tallahassee? Yes. When he was <laughs> chatting with Mr. Jim Levin, somebody told him he looked like he was going to die oh. in the Alaskan wilderness. Yeah, that was fun, man. Jim, I uh did not expect to see Jim Levitt there and um, haven't spoken to him in about 10 years. We talked for what, 30, 45 minutes out there. It was, it was great. Don't, don't, don't skim over the news. Everyone wants to know what's up with your hair right now. I think that's the, I think that's the topic that everyone cares about. Um, my hair is nothing new. I mean, if you see the length of it, this is obviously something that's been in the works for months. So it's surprising that uh, people are just now realizing they feel like as I said, as I said on Facebook Live months ago, I'm not cutting my hair until Florida State signs a quarterback. Little did I know when I said that in December, I was thinking it might be two weeks to a month before I cut my hair. I didn't know it was going to be 13, 14 months, but here we are. You look like Cat Stevens. All right, so let's up. talk real quick. Well, not real quick. I think we want to spend a, a fair amount of time on it, and that was uh, that we had the gang back together, or at least the, the dynamic duo of Christine and Josh Newberg. I was uh, I was getting up in uh, Raleigh for a uh, bachelor party while you guys there were working. There goes a PG rating. Uh, it went off with our introduction. I'm just glad it wasn't me for once. But uh, – <laughs> But I want to get both of your thoughts, and I'll start with you, Josh, on the junior day in Tallahassee this past weekend. Uh, it seemed like there was a pretty healthy amount of players there, some big-time ones. But but generally speaking, uh, this is now the second one of this recruiting cycle. Is FSU bringing in the type of recruits that, that can be foundational pieces to, you know, if you obviously commitments from them to, to turn things around for this program? And I guess is there enough talent really coming to Florida State at these junior days right now in, in your estimation, Josh? Well, some of the talent that was there that you speak of was Jeff Sims, uh, Florida State quarterback commitment, Corey Wren, Anthony Valentine, Eric Taylor, um, Josh Griffiths was in the day before. But being up there for, for, for this junior day and thinking about junior days past, I've been covering Florida State going on nine years now, um, attended at least a junior day or two or three each year. And relatively speaking, if I've been to, say, 20 junior days, this was the, the weakest in terms of top-tier talent on campus. Um, there mm -hmm. were some, some, some good players. Lawrence Toafili is another one that I think is going to end up in this class. He's a four-star running back. But just overall, the vibe is a stark contrast to last year. Um, junior day in March had several Florida State coaches waiting at the door for five-star players to arrive or you know, some blue chip guys, the energy was there. They were all, they were all ready, um, dr dressed up, tucked in, ready to go for junior day. And it's kind of, it's just kind of simmered since then. Um, recruiting's not real hot after they finish 18 overall coming off a five win season, the momentum's not there. And now you're starting to see it in, in who shows up to these junior days. And, um, I think it's just a good indication of where to set the expectations for 2020. If you're a fan if you're covering the program, if you're a coach, I mean, 
it, it's clear that some of the momentum or all of the momentum that FSU had going for it last year is not there this year. Yeah. Um, Chris was sitting on the bench next to me. Chris, what do you, what do you think? Bench. It is the Chris Nee Memorial bench. I'm supposed <laughs> to sit there. You're not dead yet. I use the word recalibrated repeatedly in talking about the day. I think people need to recalibrate their expectations of what FSU is right now. They're not sexy. They're not attractive. They're not super appealing to kids. Are they going to get some good talent in? Yeah, heck yeah. Jeff Sims, obviously, already locked up. Talented dude. Corey Wren, Lawrence Tolafilly. Uh, Malachi Weidman's mother was there. Tate Johnson's a talented offensive lineman. Or Taylor's a talented defensive lineman. Was Malachi Weidman there? He was not, no. So this is his mom? Yes. That's bizarre. I think he, Josh Pretty spoke cool, to him more, so we'll dive into that a little bit further. I think he had a, a maybe SAT that day. He's a kid with busy schedule, plays some seven on, plays hoops. So he's one of those guys that's not able to make a lot of things, but mom did make her way up. Defensive side of the ball, Eric Taylor, Timmy Brown, a couple of defensive linemen. That Odell's real high on. Josh Griffiths, a talented kid that they had in on Friday. Demoy Kennedy, a former loose Auburn commitment who's no longer pledged to the Tigers, was there. And then the secondary guy like Jamarquise Johnson had been on a long time. And Kendall Dennis, a relatively new target who they've been film familiar with for a long time, was there. And then there was some 2021 talent sprinkled in. That was pretty good. Overall, yeah, it was an underwhelming group in comparison to what FSU was used to bringing in. But FSU is not used to having to do this off of a 5-7 and seven season where it's more about proving stuff as far as going forward than based off of what they most recently did. I think the list we saw, the group we saw, was very much in tune with what FSU is currently as a program. It is not as appealing to kids to go to as a Bama or even an Auburn or Florida currently or Georgia. There's a lot of options, and certainly not Clemson. There's a lot of options in the Southeast for kids to go to to devote their times to, and FSU is down that list as far as pecking order right now. Now FSU can flip that script by having success on the field, getting some momentum. Momentum on the field breeds momentum off the field, and therefore that can help recruiting. But it's sort of what is what they are. They're bringing in a decent group this coming weekend. I think in the grand scheme of things, when the spring wraps up, what they will have had on campus is pretty good considering the situation they're in. But yeah, I mean, I'm used to covering kind of a who's who of the top 100, top two, four, seven guys. And there was only a select few four stars there on Saturday. But I am also of the opinion I shouldn't really expect more right now. All right. So let's let's delve into the actual visitors and interviews you guys had and whatnot. Um, headlining the group and, and someone we expected on there and a name that people are obviously already familiar with. That's quarterback Jeff Sims, FSU commitment. We've spoken at length, I don't know how many times now since Jeff has committed and that's his role as a recruiter, but, but guys, and I'll start with you, Josh, uh, what did you see from him in that capacity or hear about him and that role on the junior day? Cause it was like the first time he's been spearheading, get it spear Florida state. No spearheading that like a, like an event, like a junior day as being kind of the, the captain of the recruiting class. So what did you think of that, Josh? And what did you think of my pun right there? I thought it was terrible, but I think Jeff Sims is I've, I've gone on record several times saying that, you know, Jeff Sims is just what Florida state needs in times like this, because it's hard right now to, if you're a coach to, to really get the message across to, to recruits about how exciting the program can be. But when you hear it from a kid like Jeff Sims, I think it really resonates. And Sims has been doing the Lord's work since he committed to FSU uh, about five, six weeks ago now. Um, one of the things that I like that he did this, this junior day was not only did he do a great job when he was on campus recruiting, but he kind of got guys revved up even before junior day began. We know that he, you know, through uh, some investigative reporting of Zach Blostein, our uh, Knowles 247 intern, shout out to him. We learned that Sims had a group chat going even before junior day with some guys like Tate Johnson and Lawrence Toafili, where he was trying to get them excited about coming and what they were going to see and, and what they were going to experience at Florida State. So obviously when they were on campus, um, Sims was all over these two guys and everybody else there. But there's a picture in one of the stories that we wrote that Sims tweeted of him handing the ball off to Toafili. Um, while they're on the field after practice, which is pretty cool, maybe a glimpse into the future there. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, Sims, Sims did a great job. We weren't able to speak with him. He kind of got out after practice, and, and we didn't speak with him directly. But from all accounts, he did a phenomenal job on, on Saturday. 
All right, now let's talk a little bit about Lawrence Tote Philly, the running back. You alluded to him, Josh. Chris, I'll kick that to you. He's a guy who's been at Florida State now a couple times, a four-star running back recruit. This is a team that needs at least a couple of running backs, presumably in this class. So I imagine a high-priority guy and someone that was really good to get back on campus. Yeah, they had a nice group of running backs. He kind of led the charge there. Lawrence was a kid I spoke with as he was departing campus. He brought up a lot of family on this visit. Family seemed to really enjoy it. He spoke about his time. I got to sit down with Coach Taggart along with his family and had a great discussion. He's certainly a guy that sounds like he's one foot in the boat already, that he's very much on board with FSU. He came in January for the Duke basketball game, got a lot of one-on-one time with Taggart. I think this past weekend, the visit was about checking out practice, seeing how Pimp does it out on the field with the running backs, getting to spend a little more time with Pimp and just getting a feel for it. And like Josh mentioned, him and Jeff Sims really hit it off, did a good job. Lawrence has talked about wanting to take a couple other visits, Michigan, Ohio State, or a couple of schools mentioned, but he's a guy that I think will make a decision fairly early, and I think when he makes a decision, he's going to be all the way in and a guy that becomes a good recruiter for the school that he commits to, and at this point, I think that school is Florida State. All right, Josh, any thoughts on Toe Phillies? Uh, yeah, Chris wrapped up with him and, and got the interview, so those details were great. The only thing I would add right now is that uh, – if FSU is to land Toa Philly and later in, in the spring or summer, they're about to enter the, the storm that they're going to have to weather. Um, he's going up to Ohio State, Ohio State in Michigan soon to check out those campuses in the spring. Um, I don't, you know, ultimately, is he going to be impressed? Yes. Hell yes, he's going to be impressed by those schools. But I, I don't think in the end they're going to be a major factor, but you never know. We've seen Florida kids that seemingly aren't going to leave the state, go up there on visits, and, and sometimes they love it, and it changes the whole dynamics of their recruitment. But I don't think that this is the case with Toa Philly. But we are entering the time where um, if FSU fans are going to sweat over him, it's going to be over these next couple weeks. Yeah, I think Toa Philly is a 1A guy for FSU. I think he's a guy they certainly want. But something they did a good job of this past weekend was getting some guys who, if that was to fall through, would be good backup options. T. Hodge, talented kid from Tennessee, came in, first ever visit. He's a kid that just grew up in FSU fan, wanted to check it out. I don't know a ton about T. Hodge, but in speaking to and reading from some people that are more familiar with him, more familiar with him on Friday nights, very talented dude. I think he, I spoke to him a little bit after visit, very much enjoyed himself. Well, Anthony Valentine's a talented kid from Melbourne Central Catholic. He's a speedster. He was the fastest man at FSU's camp last summer. Straight ahead speed, can do a lot of versatility out of backfield. And then he came with 2021 prospect Keyshawn Spencer from the same school, another talented back. Another 2021 talented back that came in is Tyler Moorhead. He's a South Georgia kid, really, really good athlete, can do a lot of different things. FSU's in on him early, made a lot of good inroads. And then there's, you know, as you kind of keep moving down the pecking order of the running back group, there's other guys like Corey Wren, for example, who he's been a kid that came in. Pimp's been after him. He also has a relationship with Kendall Browse from his time at Houston. Corey Wren's not truly a running back per se. He can play running back. He can certainly play that running back inside receiver spot that Kendall Browse wants in his offense. And Corey Wren had a heck of a time. He really enjoyed himself, came over with his parents, spent more time on campus than most on Saturday, got to take it all in, get a real good feeling for it. He's a guy looking for a spread offensive attack that he's going to touch the ball in space and be able to try to put points on the board. And I think FSU, along with some like Washington State, are super appealing in that regard to the young man. And I know Josh spoke to him a little bit further on the record, so you might be able to share a few more highlights from what Corey Wren had to say. Yeah, uh, Corey Wren, uh, the, the, let's just see, the biggest takeaway for me in that interview was probably when I asked him about um, distance and location and how that will factor into his recruitment. Because he mentioned Washington State or – he mentioned a team in the in the Northwest, and he mentioned FSU, and he mentioned another one from away from home. And I said, how's it going to factor in for you? And he said it's going to be a big factor. He said he wants to leave the state. Um, that's his full intention, is to go somewhere else and live uh, his, his college years in a different state. So I think that bodes really well for FSU. Um, love the idea of getting the ball in space, as Chris mentioned, uh, after talking to Bryles. He wasn't surprisingly. I, I thought uh, we all thought that this was a, a kind of a Bryles relationship, and um, it's not really the case. Uh, he said he 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 really only spoke to Bryles maybe once or twice before he accepted the job at FSU. wasn't really a huge target 
at Houston just yet being a 2020 kid. So um, that being said, I think that almost bodes better for FSU. He came in not because of a Bryles connection. He came in because of his interest in FSU. Um, he is a little bit uh, on the short side, probably, what would you say, Chris? Just a hair under 5'10", maybe, right around there? Yeah, I, I thought he was 5'8", five 5'9"-ish. Five yeah, right. So, you know, I think all these guys that we're talking about that were on campus, um, one of the biggest things that they lacked overall was size, whether it be at the running back position, um, defensive tackle, offensive line. I think one of the things that we saw was just a lack of premier size. Um, but that being said, they are, they are good fits for what FSU wants to do. And I like the fact that they're trying to find those guys right now instead of, you know, down the stretch. All right. Well, speaking of speaking of size, let's talk about Malachi Weidman. He's actually wide man. Get it? You're, you're yeah, but he's not very wide. He's, he's actually pretty tall. He's, he's tall. Six so he has size four. Six six. And, yeah, it's six four, six five. He's somewhere in that range. But I uh, I see where it comes from. I, I he, Malachi Weidman was not at Florida State's junior day, but his mother was, and his mom had to be six two, six three. Um, and I was able to speak with her. We weren't, we didn't fully understand what was going on, but once I, once I talked to her, it made sense. So him and a couple, um, of his teammates, seven on seven teammates were planning on coming up. Malachi had to take the SAT, but since the ride was there, his mom used it to take, to go up, even though her son couldn't Malachi's already been on campus before she said, but she had never been. Um, she told me that. Since FSU is a school that he really likes, she wasn't going to miss that opportunity um, to go check him out and have kind of a low-key time to meet with the coaches and see all the things that she needs to see. Um, one of the seven-on-seven -seven coaches was standing next to her and told me that they're all coming back for the spring game anyway, so Malachi will be on that trip. And um, I just asked her, you know, what's the interest level in FSU? And she said, Oh, it's there. He likes FSU a lot. She said for no reason she would always see him just, you know, he wasn't the biggest, F the biggest football fan growing up, but he would always have on FSU gear. Um, she said she's fine with it. She wants him as close to home as possible, um, but also wants to support him. They're going to go take some out of state visits in the next couple weeks. I don't know if that'll be before or after the FSU spring game, but right now I really like, um, the position FSU's in. I saw Luke Stampini put in a crystal ball for him. I, I, I think that's just a projection by Luke, which is fine. Um, I think it's totally reasonable at this point to be projecting Malachi Weidman to FSU. I'm just going to wait until uh, maybe around the spring game or afterward before I put in a prediction. I want to see him, him come back to campus first. When, when was the last time either of you guys saw just a parent come to campus, especially one that's not local? I think it's happened in the last year or two. I can't remember a specific situation, but I feel like there's been an example where a mom or a dad came to just check it out because their son was not able to. Okay. Yeah. So it's obviously a good sign. Point. It's a very good sign. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Say Jenis is someone who was there, who's been at FSU, what, a couple days in a row now? Chris, you saw yeah, him Yeah, he, he was there on Saturday. He's back there today. Um, that's, he's a that's wide a three star tight end? Yeah, he's a wide receiver at Lincoln, but he'll be a tight end in the college game. He's not a freak of an athlete. He's a very smart kid. He catches everything that comes his way, and he knows how to play a game. He checks a lot of those boxes, cliches. I just want to make sure I got it in there today. But he's not like one of these athletes that just blows you away on video. But he does his job at a really, really high level. He's a great kid, very intelligent young man. I think he'd be a nice fabric of the team kind of dude who can do some things on the football field too. Another big receiver that was there, not today, but on Saturday, was Jeremiah Johnson, South Georgia kid, teammates with Tyler Moorhead. Not he's listed at 6'7". I think he's a bit shy of that more along the 6'5 lines. Yeah, but six, he's still long. great height at 6'5". What was that? Yeah, about six, five. Still great height at six five, but not the six seven that he's listed at. I wouldn't know what being six five is like. I've never, you know, seen six foot. <laughs> Chris is closer to five five than he is six foot. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then also in the receiver group was twenty twenty one Toronto Rocker, uh Josh Chad with him a good bit. He's a UF commitment, really talented kid from Central Florida, Ocala area. Yeah, did seem too interested in Florida State. Um <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I'm just being serious. Uh, him and uh, what, what, uh, Bryce Langston. Bryce, he came with Bryce Langston. Bryce really didn't have. He he hit us with the uh, 
It was straight when asked how the visit was. And Trevante, I think, has a little bit more interest in FSU than Bryce. I think his relationship with Ron Dugans, dating back to his time at Miami, uh, is pretty strong. But ultimately, you know, I'd be surprised if, if FSU flips either of these two kids. But there is a very long time because they're both 2021 recruits. Was Bryce Langston arguably, arguably the uh, oddest or like – how would you describe that interview? I know you guys came away a little. Yeah, it was the oddest interview I've ever done. Um, I think it was a combination of him being shy, him not wanting to say what was really on his mind. That you know, he, this kid was just committed to Florida. He walked out of the FSU building, and I don't think he wanted to say anything that was going to maybe lead people the wrong way about his commitment. So he just really said nothing. I mean, we asked them very open-ended questions where we've had recruits go for, you know, a minute or two with, with, with what they have to say. And he just had one word answers or just had nothing to say. So it was very odd. And everybody involved in that little media scrum walked away kind of scratching their head. But hey, that's what happens when, you, when you're dealing with 17. Did you interview him, Josh? What's that? Never mind. Oh, you missed it. Damn it. You served it up. I did. Save it for later. All show. right. A couple of big uglies offensive linemen that were there. I love one of them, Tate Johnson. He's an offensive guard all the way, but he's a good-looking kid. His video is good. His body is getting better by the day. He really likes FSU a lot. Showed up in a nice FSU dry fit up top. Watched Randy Clements pretty much all day. He likes what FSU does up front, and I think he fits very much what they want to do up front. He's a really, really talented dude. He's a guy that I know since has been in his ear. I believe him and Zane Hearing may be talking as well. There's a little bit of an O-line group coming together that talks a good bit. I know Zane's doing some of that work along with Jeff, and those guys are like Zane, him, Richie Leonard, who was not there this weekend, but is supposed to come up at some point soon. So that's a nice little group. And then the one who does not have an offer that showed up was Bradley Ashmore. He came with a teammate, younger kid, as well as his father, who's an assistant coach at Fletcher High School over near Jacksonville. Ashmore's a Vanderbilt commitment. He looks a part of an offensive tackle, well-put-together kid. Doesn't yet have an offer from FSU, but I think he liked it. And speaking to him, he seemed to enjoy what Clement says, how direct he is. He seemed to enjoy the overall process of how practice was run with the offensive line and with the offense. But he's a kid that's very solidly committed to Vanderbilt. I didn't get the vibe that he's looking around hardcore. That all being said, if FSU was to extend an offer to a kid from Jacksonville, I think it carries some weight. It would make it a little more interesting. But he's not a guy looking to jump ship from the Commodores. Yeah, I think overall the number the the number of offensive linemen that FSU is even you know mildly interested in. Uh, was the biggest disappointment. The, the, the lack of, of getting these guys on campus for this junior day was the biggest disappointment for me. We've seen FSU done a great job um, widening the net, as Chris likes to say, and offering more offensive linemen from a broader spe spectrum. Um, in this spring, I wrote in the objectives that it would be important to kind of see where the market is for FSU, meaning like who shows up on campus for these events, like a junior day, and a spring game. And I just, you know, I wanted to see, and I'm not even talking about the top tier guys, but I wanted to see some of the, so even just some of the lower tier guys make it to campus so that FSU could lay their eyes on them before they hit the road for the spring eval period and, and start building that relationship, whether or not they're going to be top tier targets or not. I just wanted to see more alignment on, on campus. All right. Now let's transition over to defense and we'll start off with Josh Griffiths. Josh will let you talk about him. This guy was a former Florida commit when last few weeks he decommitted. Yep. Yeah, it's clear that Florida State's recruiting him harder than anybody else right now. As soon as he decommitted from Florida, they jumped all over. Before after his decommitment, he got the offer. But um, he came to campus on Friday. He had a great visit. I feel like we're at a point now where it's just a matter of time until he jumps on board. I don't, you know, Zane, if Zane Herring, I feel is a hundred percent gonna, gonna be a seminal at some point, I feel Josh Griffiths right now is probably at about 95%. Um, unless he goes somewhere soon and, and, and a visit really blows his socks off. Um, I think he's FSU's to lose at this point. Yeah. I think Penn state's in there too, but I don't know how much they're really a player. Right. Griffiths seemed to really enjoy. He brought several family members with him for it too. And because he was there on Friday, 
he got a lot of one-on-one focus, but also got taken to practice. Um, another really good defensive lineman there, personally, I thought the best-looking kid that came in the whole day was Eric Taylor. He's from Alabama. Obviously, you spoke to him, right, Chris? What was that, Newark? You spoke to him, right? Yeah, I chatted with him. He actually came back with his mother on Sunday morning. That's Spent right. a little more time with Odell and the coaching staff and Coach Taggart. He really hit it off with Mario Edwards Sr., really liked him. He's got a real good relationship with Odell Higgins. Odell and him speak on a near daily basis, according to the young man. His mother very much enjoyed it. He told me that he's working with a short list. He didn't want to reveal what that short list was. I definitely think Alabama, Auburn, FSU are three of the schools that you would find on that short list. I think it's more like five total, and we'll probably see it in a couple months. But he's a guy that FSU is going to be in there with, but you always have to kind of hesitate with a kid from Alabama that the two in-state schools really want. It's just tough to make them drive by those schools and come see you. But really, really good-looking kid. If they are going to more of a three, four-looking front, he's a guy that could definitely play a little strong side or D-tackle. He would give you that flexibility. All right. So who I'm trying to look at the list here. Hey, we talked to Desmond Tisdall's guy. Yeah, like, there was a pair of linebacker commitments on campus. Um, I, I kind of feel right now, Chris, and correct me if I'm wrong, but these two guys are probably more backup plans for FSU right now because of how well they've recruited the, the position so far in 2020. I don't think a guy like Kennedy or Tisdall is somebody that we're going to see them add anytime soon. Do you? I think Ken, I, I think Kennedy's on a different level than Tisdall. I think uh, Raymond Woody really likes Demoy Kennedy. He's a kid that was previously supposedly committed to Auburn. He never really was very. Yeah, let's talk about that. That might be something that we've never had happen at a junior day before. Yeah, I, I, I asked him twice, in fact, to be positive on it. Hey, are you committed to Auburn? No. And then when we wrapped up the interview, I asked him again, just for clarity's sake, you're not committed to Auburn. Is that correct? And he's like, that is correct. He, I don't know what happened there. I didn't have a relationship with him. Did you ask on. him if he committed to Florida State? I'm well, no, it know. sounded like it was the, the way that he said it in context. Like it was clear this wasn't a decision that he just made. Like I think yeah. he, in, at least in his head, maybe he just didn't say it publicly. But yeah, you could tell. Like, he, from FSU, I think Zach, in fact, spoke to him a little bit. And at that point, he was kind right. of on that was not committed to Auburn. Truthfully, LSU is a school in the driver's seat there and talking to him. He, yeah, he likes LSU a ton. They're definitely a school that's made the strongest impression. But he's a talented, versatile outside guy who can do a lot of different things. If you're looking for guys that can play at different levels, he certainly falls into that category. Yeah, I, I, think, I think FSU has guys like him is all I'm saying. And maybe at this point you want somebody a little bit bigger that can play in the middle because it seems like they have a lot of those versatile guys that can play all over. Yeah, I think it's fair to say. I, I think they're they're kind of casting a wide net, to use that cliche again. But I think at the linebacker spot, they are. They're looking at a lot of different body types. Quitman Kincaid is a guy that came in. He's a safety yeah. type that FSU likes as a linebacker. I mean, I thought he was this big. You know, I think he's going to have a, a chance to be as big or bigger than any of the kids that they had on campus playing linebacker. That kid was huge. Yeah. The name on him. He has to be from Georgia with that name, right? Quitman Kincaid, no, it's from Ocala, oh, that's West a damn Fork High School, but that's he does sound shame. like two Georgia teams came together <laughs> to unify. Um, so, and then the secondary group was a little underwhelming, to just put it plainly simple. Jamarquise Johnson, safety type, they love him. He's a regular around FSU. FSU is one of his first offers. Right now, it's very much them or Georgia Tech. I think if Georgia made a push, it would get interesting. Maybe some other SEC schools. But FSU has been in the driver's seat for that one for a long time, and I don't think it changes unless FSU wants it to change. And then Kendall Dennis is more of a new relationship. He's a teammate of Brendan Gantz. Gant has actually been kind of vouching for him for some time, and FSU finally pulled the trigger after he had really, really good testing numbers at the Orlando opening regional combine, and then he performed very well the next day at the actual opening regional camp. And he, he's a good-looking body. He said they like him as a corner. I, of course, think he looks more like a safety because I like everybody to be a safety. Don't shake your head, Sonoma. No comment. So that was about <laughs> it. And, yeah, going back to how we opened up talking about it, was it disappointing from, like, a star power standpoint? Yeah. There weren't a whole lot of top two, four, seven guys. There weren't a whole lot of four stars. But there is talent in there that can help them. You know, say they pull off a guy like Sam, Sims, Hornybrook, uh, you know, Toa Philly, one of those big receivers, add an O-lineman like Tate Johnson, add a D-lineman like Eric Taylor, and then a guy from the secondary, 
That's not a bad group. That's a half dozen guys that can help you win a lot of games. Is it as good as FSU was recruiting two, three years ago? No, but that's where they are today. Yeah, I think you said Hornybrook by accident because I just texted you the name Hornybrook, or did you mean Hornybrook? Did I? See, that's why you shouldn't text, I shouldn't text you. <laughs> you don't text yeah, You definitely said it. I was like, I, I, I was just wondering where you were going with that since he's only here for a year, but. <laughs> he's going to be a foundational piece. Well, that makes for a perfect transition. It's a clunky one, but I think it works, and I guess it's where we need to go, right? We're good on junior day. We feel yeah, we're good. good. All right, we'll have more. When, when's the next one? It's spring game, right? And that's April 6th. But they'll have guys in. They're bringing several in this coming weekend. We'll probably have some in that first weekend. I don't really understand why we're calling the spring game a junior day. Because just, they're calling it a junior day. Just, yeah, no, move on. If you text it to me, I'm going to read it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, FSU got a quarterback, a graduate transfer, a guy with eligibility. That's a fairly big deal given where the, what the quarterback room looked like a week ago, and that's Alex Hornerbrook. I don't know if it's Horner. I, I'm going to say Hornerbrook because I – Just call him Alex. Or Alex. Alex. Uh, they got Alex. <laughs> so they bring in Alex. And uh, and that was again during the during the my my bachelor party or not my bachelor party. I would have asked him how to pronounce his last name, but he no commented me when I asked for an interview. Yeah, he did. I am bitter. He was just bitter. He was there. Chris and Josh saw him, correct? Yes, he, he was there Friday, Saturday, yeah. Sunday. He arrived on Friday. Him, his dad, his brother, his brother's an offensive lineman who's uh, bound for Stanford from last year's class. They were there on Friday at practice. It was somewhat, at least to me, a surprise to see them. I had that moment of, I know who that is, and then I took a photo and went and figured out who that was and then wrote the story for the website. On Saturday, they came back. They dropped back in. They very much got out of car, headed right in. They were in the building all day at the moor, came out in the evening, and then Sunday they were there till early afternoon when they left and departed town. His mother didn't come. I guess she has a foot or leg injury, so she wasn't able to come, but everybody else that matters in the family was there with him. I was told it was a very business-like visit, that it was, you know, about why should I come here? Why does it make sense for me? What's in store for me? I don't think there were any promises made of future playing time, guarantees like that. To me, the whole thing is an insurance policy. It's not a bad one. I think he'll be good for the culture as far as winning. He did that a lot at Wisconsin. Not to say he's the one that solely brought about those victories. Obviously, Wisconsin's a team that's going to run the ball first behind a good O-line and play good defense. And then you have their quarterback. But I think he's a guy that he's a better option than what they currently have at number two. All right. So let's let's talk about that. Well, I want to jump in real quick. Well, just I, would, I just texted you. Okay. Never mind. Go no for texting it. during the show. Oh, oh, just real quick on Hornerbrook. Before, and I want Josh's opinion on it. But just for the context for our readers, he has a 26 – or listeners, he has a 26-6 and six career record as a starting quarterback at Wisconsin. I think that's the highest uh, winning percentage of any Wisconsin quarterback ever. Uh, so he has a winning pedigree, uh, decent numbers, nothing spectacular, higher amount of interceptions. He's dealt with some concussions, but as a guy who has starting power five experience and is eligible next year, Joshua, take it. I've just seen, you know, the, the pickup was kind of polarizing. There was a lot of people that were excited and there was a, a lot of people that expressed frustration or disappointment. But let me tell you what, outside of Jalen Hurts, or Justin Fields, the, the transfer market wasn't going to bear an impact quarterback for Florida State. After Fields and Hurts were off the market, we pretty much knew that FSU needed an insurance policy, whether that was Nick Starkle um, or some of the other sub-average quarterbacks out there. It really didn't matter. I think the fact that FSU just got Alex uh, Hornerbrook is a good sign. It's something that was much needed. We all know who he is and what he's going to do. That's fine, but he provides some sort of insurance, and it's good to see FSU lock that up now rather than you know wait into the further into the spring and into the summer. I think insurance is a very good word to describe it as, Josh, because he he's an insurance policy. He elevates, you know, the you know, when you use the, the I'm going to use a cliche here, Chris. You ready for it when you're talking about? He what, elevates the floor. Yes, of the, the roof is the, the ceiling in this case. Um, I don't think the ceiling, I think the ceiling right now as currently comprised even with Hornerbrook in is James Blackman. I think James is the ceiling. I think if we just talk about this more, we'll confuse people enough so that they just won't have any take on or opinion on. I just feel like we should put the Michael Jordan sound clip about the ceiling in right now. Uh, I think it was an interesting situation that Florida State was in because 
they were going to struggle to find a fit at quarterback who was not going to completely compromise what, what the spring is about, which is building an offense around James Blackman and selling confidence in him. Kind of Chris and I talked about that earlier on the podcast before you, you jumped in, Josh, but but we've seen a lot of guys buying into to James Blackman being quarterback one of this team. Uh, and as we saw throughout the offseason, you know, Florida State initially looked at adding a grad transfer at quarterback who would come in and and not just compete, but but probably be the quarterback one, like guy like Jalen Hurts or Justin Fields. And then after those two guys didn't materialize, you, you mentioned Starkle Sparkle and and uh, Josh Jackson as other guys. You know, I don't know what that would have done to James Blackman because those two would have probably wanted to come in with the ability to start and have wanted some assurances. Uh, and I don't know what that does to James Blackman. If you, if you scare James Blackman away, we know that he at least explored the transfer portal. He filled out paperwork to do it before. Uh, if you scare him away, then you're in the exact same situation depth-wise as you were before you took a graduate transfer quarterback. So uh, adding Alex Hornerbrook, I think, doesn't do that. doesn't scare James Blackman away. It gives someone to compete with him legitimately. Uh, but I don't think there's assurances made. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, FSU, we knew after after Hertz and Fields were off the board, FSU needed to take an insurance policy. What insurance policy that was going to be, I think J- Jackson was the other name. Jackson, Starkle, Hornybrook, you put them all in the same category. They got their insurance policy. Now let's just move on. Starkle, Sparkle. All right. Is that, is that everything for this one, guys? I think so. Well, we touched on, we covered a lot of ground here. I um, don't need to talk baseball after last night. Nor do you need to talk about basketball. Chris is going up to, no, his eyes just Don't shut. hate on news, man. You know I'm sensitive about the basketball. Josh, don't hang up because I need you, you on to keep recording, but you're going to have to listen to 30 seconds of, just, of Chris talk about basketball. Ready, set, go. FSU plays at 2.30 p.m. tomorrow. They'll probably play Virginia Tech, presuming they beat Miami. Virginia Tech, that is. It will be a rematch of the game that was a war in Tallahassee. I think FSU goes one and one in the ACC tournament, and I think they end up with a number four seed. Let's all hope that they end up in Jacksonville, so I don't have to fly to San Jose, California, and be salty. With the No 24/7 podcast, this is Brendan Sinone, Josh Newberg, Chris Nee. Thanks for joining me, guys. Remember, for those who listen and, and even adequately like the show, give us a five star review. This isn't ranking prospects here. We want just five stars all across the board. That helps us out. So, guys, thanks for listening. Hopefully, the audio came out clearly. We're about to find out in a minute or two. Chris, safe travels. Josh, I don't know if I'll see you this weekend. Well, I won't. Even if you're in Tallahassee, I'm going out of town probably. So I'll talk to you guys later, all right? All right, don't say bye to me. Bye. Bye.